Amen. All right. Okay. James chapter 2. We're going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 13 together, and then we'll work our way through the passage. James chapter 2, starting in verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. A number of years ago, Jerry Bridges wrote a book called Respectable Sins. He wrote a book called Respectable Sins. Now, that's a little bit of an arresting title because when we think about sin, there's really nothing about sin that's respectable. And that was kind of the point of the title of the book. It's designed to help us stop and think about sins that are easy to tolerate in our lives. Some sins are easy to identify and they're really obvious, murder or adultery or lying. Other sins, perhaps they're a bit more internal. They can seem less serious. And as a result, sometimes what we do is we come to accept them in our lives, and we kind of make a a non-aggression pact with them. Rather than waging war the way that we are commanded to do or in confronting these sins, sometimes we can grow comfortable with their existence in our lives to where at some point we don't even recognize them that they have taken up residence in our hearts. So here in the book of James, we're going to talk about a sin that sometimes can feel respectable. We're going to talk about partiality. Often partiality doesn't make anyone's seven deadly sins lists. And as a result, sometimes in our own lives, it can be easy to overlook or perhaps minimize. Thankfully, the Spirit of God knows that partiality is not respectable. It's not acceptable. We have to be really vigilant about it in our hearts. And the book of James often tackles subjects in two or three or four or five verses The Spirit of God has given us 13. So apparently the Spirit of God knows perfectly what we need this morning. So we're going to 
take a look at James chapter 2. We're going to kind of bit by bit read through it again, and we'll see what the Lord has for us together. So let's look at verse 1. Verse 1, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, the book of James, we've been working through it in our Sunday evening services, and we've been learning that the book of James is the New Testament book of wisdom, and it's all about putting faith into action. Let faith not be something that's theoretical or just that is a part of what's in our minds or what we think, but true faith will reveal itself in our actions. It will reveal itself in our behavior. So in this case, we are to see what does faith look like in action. And we see right off the bat that faith in action means that we should show no partiality because it is incompatible for those who hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Hold the faith or hold the doctrine of what Jesus taught. What is that? It's this word. The word that Jesus taught, the principles that he taught are the things that the apostles taught and that have been preserved for us in Holy Scripture. So as we think about what it looks like to be faithful to Christ, to hold sound doctrine, and then for that to flow in our lives, we understand right away from this passage that we are to show no partiality is incompatible with the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is partiality? What is partiality? Probably a great way for us to look at that is what it says right here in verse 4, when it says, have you then, not then, made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Its origin is from a Hebrew idiom, which means to accept a face. It's favoring or showing preference to certain persons over other people. It's to distinguish between people and then set ourselves up as the judge for who receives favored treatment and ill treatment. All right? So we make distinctions, and then we set ourselves up as judge to say worthy, not worthy, acceptable, unacceptable. I should probably vary that a little bit so you guys don't get self-conscious, right? Acceptable, unacceptable. Is that better? Sorry, Sean. All right. So that's partiality. Now, how could this thing ever happen in a, in a church, right? This is obviously something that we should not do that's opposite of what holding the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ is. How could it happen in a church? Well, James gives us an example. Verse 2. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly... And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, this is the scenario that James gives to his readers and that God has preserved for us making a distinction between that someone who is rich and powerful and influential and someone who is poor and perhaps lacks any type of power or influence. Now, there are a hundred different ways that we can show partiality, and we're not going to dive into all of them this morning, but we want to see in the remaining verses four reasons from this passage that the Holy Spirit gives to us that we must not show partiality. 
Whatever distinctions that we might be tempted to make in our own hearts, we must not do that, and there's four reasons as to why. The first reason is we see, we see it in verse 5. First reason that we must not show partiality is in verse 5, and that is partiality denies God's gospel. Partiality denies God's gospel. Verse 5, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? You see that? That's the language of salvation. That's the language of sovereignty. Has not God chosen the poor of the world? You see, partiality sets us up as the judge. Partiality wants to make us to be the one who's sovereign in choosing those who are worthy and unworthy and acceptable and unacceptable. But that is opposite of the gospel. God is the only judge. He is the only sovereign. And God chooses those whom we normally wouldn't choose. The folks in the assembly did the opposite of what God did in the gospel here in James chapter 2. They chose the one who had the nice clothing, and who was powerful and influential and wealthy. But God has chosen whom? He's chosen the poor of the world to be rich in faith. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This says it very clearly. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 26 through 31. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 or 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Could it be any clearer? When God chooses, he chooses that which is foolish and weak and low and despised. And why does he do that? So that no one may boast in the presence of God. Listen, we sing with gusto. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Because it's true. If you're here today or watching online and you're in Christ, do you know why God chose you? Because you're not that special. You're not that impressive, right? Hey, let's just embrace it. Let's just own it, right? Not many mighty, not many powerful, not many wise. Why? so that God can get the glory. Amen. And listen, I just want to say to anybody who's here today or perhaps watching online, if you are not in Christ, if you are not yet in Christ, and you don't feel worthy of Christ's love, if you are a great sinner, if you don't think that God could ever love you, if you feel tremendous guilt and shame for things that you have done or things that have been done to you, Let me just tell you, 
Christ is calling you. Christ is calling you. He is a compassionate Savior who loves to welcome those who are not worthy. And in addition to that, Christ welcomes you and this church welcomes you. People clean up reasonably well on Sunday mornings, but let me just be honest, right? Weak, foolish, lowly, join the club here, right? We are all in desperate need of the grace of God. So I I want you to know, let nothing hold you back. Let not your feelings of unworthiness, past sins that you have done, past sins that have been done to you, Christ is calling you, and when you come to him, he will never cast you out. If you don't know Christ this morning, I invite you to let today be the day that you trust him. I'd love to talk with you afterwards. Other people would here as well. We can tell you our own stories of how Christ welcomed us when we were sinners, how Christ died for us, rose for us, and lives for us even now. So James' message to the first century church and to us is that showing partiality denies God's gospel. Again, the gospel is a declaration of God's amazing grace that chooses those who don't deserve it, chooses those who could never be worthy, and whose only contribution to transaction is their sin. Romans 5.8 says, when we were sinners, Christ died for us. So we must not show partiality because it flips the gospel completely on its head. As we show favor to those that we deem to be worthy, those that have favorable qualities that can provide some benefit to us. So brothers and sisters, let's reject all partiality because it denies the glorious gospel of God. That's reason number one. Reason number two is that partiality not just denies God's gospel, but it also dishonors God's creation. Partiality dishonors God's creation. Look at verse 6, and I'll read verse 6 and 7. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? You have dishonored the poor man. God has created every single human being in his image. All the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, let us make man and let us make woman in our image. That means that every single person that God has created is worthy of special dignity and special honor. And for us to make any distinction and to say, no, they're not really worthy of that value that God has given them because they're not up to my standards or they're not the type of person that I would prefer. We dishonor them. And we dishonor the one who made them because every single person bears the image of God in their lives. So we got to be really, really careful and really cautious that our own thoughts of partiality don't flow into dishonoring people who are created in the image of God. But I want you to know that's true of every single person that's created, worthy of honor, worthy of dignity because they bear the image of God. But when it comes to our church family, brothers and sisters, 
with whom God has called us to worship and live and be on mission together, it's more than that. You see, everyone who has the Spirit of God that's a part of our church family, we are members of one another. We are the household of God. We have one faith and one Lord, one baptism, and one God and Father of all. And after this brief life, we're going to spend eternity forever and ever. So you see, James is warning us here. We have to be careful that we don't dishonor anyone. But in a church setting, in a community setting, it's even more of a stark warning than that. You see, it has big-time community consequences. If we let partiality take root in our heart and in our minds, it's, it's going to have behavioral consequences. It's going to lead to disunity in the body of Christ. It'll lead to things like social cliques or tribalism or perhaps even an us-versus-them mindset as we make those types of distinctions in our hearts and then it flows into our behavior and the way that we treat one another. So as we think about being a church that is unified and dedicated to maintaining the unity of spirit in the bond of peace, we got to be really, really careful about the sin of partiality, however subtle it might be in our hearts and in our minds. We have to be really careful that we guard things like sound doctrine, right? church, the pillar and the buttress of the truth. We got to guard sound doctrine. But oftentimes, as we think about disunity, it's not necessarily about doctrine. It might be, but often it's about things that we might show partiality about. Social dynamics or personal preference or matters of conscience. So we've got to be really careful that we don't dishonor people whom God has created and with whom he has called us to gather in his church. So that's number two. First, you must not show partiality because it denies God's gospel. Second, it dishonors God's creation. And third, partiality dismisses God's law. Partiality dismisses God's law. Verses 8 through 11, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So here we see, don't minimize the sin of partiality. Don't think of it as insignificant or no big deal. Hear the word of God to us. If you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. That's pretty straightforward. That's pretty black and white, not a whole lot of gray there. Partiality is sin. Listen to this. Uh, You don't have to turn there, but write down Leviticus 19.15. Leviticus 19.15. 
You think about the law, God's law that he gave to his people in the Old Testament. Partiality was forbidden in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19.15 says, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Leviticus 19.15 is saying, Don't show partiality to the poor or the rich in righteousness. You're supposed to judge your neighbor. So that was the law in the Old Testament. But what does Jesus do in the New Testament? Jesus says, you know what? I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets, but I've come to take it next level. Next level. Not just don't show partiality, but what is the new commandment that Jesus gave to his church? What is the fulfillment of the law? It's love. It's love. That's what it says here in James chapter 2. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said this in John chapter 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then the apostle Paul in Romans chapter 13, verses 9 and 10. It says, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So it's not just don't show partiality, but love. When we show partiality, we dismiss God's law like it's not really that big of a deal. Or maybe this is a a smaller, lesser command that, eh, some of this other stuff is really important. We'll focus here. Scripture says to us, no, it's important. And if we are guilty of committing partiality, we have committed sin and we have transgressed the law. And so it's not just don't do that, but now Christ's law says to us, don't just say no to this, but say yes to loving like he has loved us. All right. Take a look around. Take a look around. Make eye contact. Let's do this. All right. All right. Good job. What do we see? It's a diverse group, isn't it? People of different Races, ages, backgrounds, facial and body features, personalities, tendencies, likes and dislikes, hobbies, political affiliations, fashion choices. We want to talk about ones that we agree with and ones that we don't agree with. Parenting styles, specific struggles. The list goes on. Every single one of those differences is an opportunity. It's an opportunity on one hand to show partiality. And on the other hand, it's an opportunity to show Christ-like love. Every single one of those differences in every single interaction with people We've got two choices, and we can say, ah, that's weird. I don't like that. That's not my preference. That's very different than what I would choose. 
and I'm going to show partiality. I'm going to withhold love. I'm just going to sidle over here and avoid that person or that conversation or that opportunity. Or coming under and adhering to the law of love. We have an opportunity to move into that and show the type of love and demonstrate the type of love that we have received. And what a glorious picture that is of not just the law of love that Christ gave us, but the reality of the gospel in our lives, right? So let's think about that. Let's think about that and remember to take advantage of those opportunities to show Christ-like love. We recognize that partiality can often take residence in our hearts. And when it does, because that's where it starts, in our minds, in our hearts, and then it often flows into our behavior. In verses 2 through 4, there was a situation that we could identify and go, oh, that's not right. That was like actively discriminatory. Rich man, poor man, rich one gets favored treatment, all the rest, and poor man, hey, just you know, sit over here in this bad spot. Most of the time, we're more refined than that. Most of the time, we've matured socially enough that we go, hmm, I wouldn't do that. Like, that's super obvious, and that reflects poorly on me. But often, we can choose to withhold love or time or investment in someone whom I judge to be inferior in one way or another. So you've got to be careful about some sort of like a, a passive, not active, but passive partiality that takes root in our heart and mind and then inevitably is going to flow into our behavior. As we think about unity in the body of Christ, it's possible that there could be some big issue that threatens unity, right? That's, that's a threat, and we have to guard against that. We have to be careful. We are commanded in Scripture to pursue unity, and we must do that. But before something big like that happens, like in a big, explosive way that threatens unity, most likely there are going to be seeds of partiality that have taken root in our hearts and in our lives. And then slowly we're going to begin to prefer others, shun others, and seeds of partiality will then result in a harvest of disunity, and the root of partiality that bears the fruit of disunity. So let's really be cautious and ask the Lord in our hearts if this is true, if there are any seeds of partiality that have taken root that I've grown comfortable with, that I've not tried to kill, and that could ultimately result in lack of love, dismissing God's law as I interact with my brothers and sisters. Okay, number four, number four. First, partiality denies God's gospel. Second, partiality dishonors God's creation. Third, it dismisses God's law. And will I have a fourth D? Yes, I will. That's right. Partiality despises God's mercy. It despises God's mercy. Now, sometimes we think of the word despise as like really intense hatred. Or raging against something. And sometimes that's a, that's a valid use of that word. But often, if we despise something, we treat it as little or insignificant or unimportant. And when we show partiality, we say that we don't really think much 
of the mercy that we have received. We think it's small or insignificant or not that amazing. Verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, are you going to be judged? Yes, for we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. Will there be any condemnation for those who are in Christ? Will there be any condemnation for those who are in Christ? No, emphatically no. Why? Why? Because Christ has taken our condemnation on himself, on the cross. He paid. He paid for our condemnation. He took our guilt. He took our shame. So when we're judged, we are judged by the law of liberty. Amen? Amen. We're going to be judged by the law of liberty, which means that anyone who is in Christ has, has received profound, eternity-altering, sin-canceling, righteousness-giving mercy, which we could never earn and never deserve. That's the mercy that we have received. So when we are called to so speak and act, and those words and those actions flow from that which is in our minds and in our hearts, we are to do so as those who will be judged by the law of liberty, the law that gives freedom. You see, when we truly get it, when we truly get it, truly get the mercy, the magnitude of the mercy that we have received, we'll be freed to show that same type of mercy that we have received and to show that same type of love that we have received. Jesus talks about this in a couple of different points. In Luke chapter 7, he says, he who has forgiven little loves little. Remember that story? The lady who came in and showed lavish love and worship and adoration to Christ. And some people who watched that display of affection and gratitude sit back and were like, ooh, that's kind of weird. And, and Jesus said, you know what? You don't get it. You don't get it. You don't understand the depth of the mercy to unworthy sinners. And, and that's why you're standing back in judgment rather than saying, yes, that's true, and that's right, and that's beautiful. And in Matthew chapter 18, it's the parable of the unforgiving servant, one that we know where a servant was forgiven a debt by his master. The servant deserved to go to jail and to be punished for this debt that was massive, that he could never pay. And the master said, it's okay, I forgive you. And then do you remember what the servant did after that? He found another servant who had a tiny, tiny debt against him. And he said, pay up. Another servant said, please have mercy on me and I'll pay you back. He said, no. This is what Jesus said about that, about that unforgiving servant. His master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? 
So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. We must not despise God's mercy. When we show partiality, that's exactly what we do. We treat it as something that is small and insignificant and not that amazing. Now, there's an exhortation in verse 12, but there's also a warning in verse 13 that parallels that of Matthew chapter 18. It says, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. So let's not skip over that warning. Let that warning sink into us. If we are people, if we are individuals that are showing partiality and cherishing partiality and neglecting to show mercy to others, there's a warning to us. Perhaps we have not truly received the mercy of God in our own lives. Perhaps we truly don't understand the depth of the mercy that he has offered to us. So let's hear that warning and humbly receive it. So let's make some application here. And I want to do that by asking some questions. Some questions that hopefully will help to provide some self-examination and self-evaluation in our hearts. Is there any way in which partiality has found a comfortable home in your heart? Is there any way that partiality has found a comfortable home in your heart? Has it somehow become a respectable sin rather than waging war against it, trying to kill it by the power of the Spirit? We've let it take up residence in our hearts. What does that look like? Well, do you make distinctions in your heart and favor or disfavor certain groups of people based on things like race or economic status, age, personality, political affiliations, parenting styles, various matters of conscience, different conclusions on all things COVID-19, right? I mean, and the list goes on and on and on. And if that's the case, has this type of thinking found its way into your behavior? Has it flowed at all in your interactions with people, in those that you choose to befriend or pursue, and those that you're just happy to not be a part of your life or to not make any effort to love and serve? As you identify your heart or evaluate your heart, do you identify partiality? Is repentance in order? If so, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Rest in what he has accomplished for you in his life and death and resurrection. Marvel anew at the mercy that you've received. Let his love transform your partiality into sacrificial love. You see, it's remembering and living according to the truths of the gospel, the solution to partiality, beholding our Savior Jesus. And as we behold him, being transformed more and more into his likeness. There's one more sentence in verse 13. Last sentence, verse 13b. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's the gospel. So friends, 
if partiality has taken root in your heart, perhaps even just this message this morning perhaps has exposed things in your heart that perhaps you didn't even know, run to Christ. Run to Christ. It would be a wrong response to just say, okay, I'm not going to show partiality. I'm going to really try hard to like those people that I really don't like naturally. No, the first step, the first step is to behold Christ and his humility and his condescension and his love and his mercy in your life. And as the wonder of that renews your heart and your mind and flows then in your behavior, that's the start. That's the start. And then it frees us to be obedient. I want to close with a quote here. This is from Pastor Ligon Duncan. I think it's a great way to end this exhortation. He says this, Loving our neighbor is hard. Loving our neighbor is hard. In fact, we can't do it. If the gospel were love your neighbor and live, or I'll just add, show no partiality and live, if that were the gospel, it would be profoundly bad news. None of us loves our neighbor purely or perfectly. None of us loves our neighbor in the way Jesus taught in John 15. Greater love has no man than that. He lay down his life for his friends. But, brothers and sisters, the good news of the gospel is that we have a neighbor who loved us and laid down his life for us. And this neighbor didn't lay down his life for his friends, but for his enemies. And I'll add, he chose the weak, the foolish, the lowly to be his own. So this neighbor didn't lay down his life for his friends, but for his enemies. We can enjoy God's blessing and know his grace because our Savior obeyed the first and second great commandments for us. And this good news releases us from condemnation and sets us free to love our neighbor as ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the mercy that we have received. Thank you that we can look to you and you give us a law to show no partiality. And then Jesus came and lived and fulfilled that law and laid down his life for us. So Lord, may we, in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit, as we behold the grace and mercy of Jesus, help us to show no partiality. We don't want to despise your gospel, dishonor your creation, dismiss your law, or despise your mercy. So may we fulfill the law of love and speak and act as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For your glory, in Jesus' name.